0: You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romamu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So to talk with you about Parshat Sa tonight, I have to admit something to you. I've always liked courtroom dramas. It's a thing I like to do when I'm trying not to think. And mostly I do enjoy them. But there is one thing that does terrify me, the oath that a witness has to take in order to testify in the courtroom, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And I always think, the whole truth? (laughs) I don't know the whole truth. (laughs) And what about nothing but the truth? Could I say anything that was only the truth? And this is what happens when I watch primetime television. I have have existential anxiety. In spite of all the judges and all the Bibles, I just can't trust the system. The whole truth, you've gotta be kidding. In fact, back in another incarnation of my life, when I was studying social psychology and thought I would be a social psychologist for the rest of my life, I wrote a paper on witnesses in courtrooms. And I discovered that witnesses who saw something for a split second can be led to report things that they never saw or that they heard things that they never heard. And this isn't about lying. It's about how easily our brains can manufacture a whole truth out of a partial truth. How primed we are to fill in information that we don't have. It's an adaptive feature of the mind. We extrapolate. We need to do that. But that human gift is also a bug in the system. Sometimes in focusing on what we see or what we think we see, we don't notice what's missing. And as we come to the story of the golden calf, which is at the center of this parasha, I've been thinking about partial truths. In the story of the golden calf, the people are waiting for Moses to come down from Mount Sinai and bring them the Torah. And they have been waiting for a long time, about 40 days. Now, I can't wait in line for 15 minutes at the grocery store. I don't know about you. But for me, this is a long time. And according to one Jewish legend, Moses is not only 40 days gone, he's also late. And the people feel abandoned. And they say to Moses' brother Aaron, make us a god who will go before us. For that man, Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, Lo ya danu mahayalo we have no idea what happened to him so in the absence of moses the people make up a story moses has disappeared he's gone they're on their own and they need a symbol of a new god for the old symbol of god moses is no longer available and aaron makes for them a golden calf around which they dance and celebrate So what are we to think about this rather strange event in the lives of the Israelites? Commentators offer many explanations. Some say that in the absence of Moses, the Israelites are returning to what they know, an Egyptian practice. They're worshiping a bull, as the Egyptians did. And they have, in a theological sense, returned to Egypt. So in one way of looking at the story, that's what's wrong with this picture. Other midrashim have an even harsher reading of what the Israelites are doing. One commentator says the second the revelation is over and Moses is out of sight, the people are already building a calf. What is this like? It's like a bride who is standing under the chuppah and is already checking out the other guests. (laughs) The Israelites can't stay focused on God. They want more gods. And this is what bothers God so in that reading of the story. Another reading out of history and archaeology. Some Jewish scholars, as well as historians, believe that the people are trying to make a throne for God, an animal on which God can ride. This was, in fact, common in the ancient Near East. The irony is that while they're doing this, Moses is receiving instructions on how to build the cherubim, which are, in fact, a throne for God. These cherubim are going to support, these winged beings are going to support the divine presence, right? the invisible divine presence in the tabernacle. So the Israelites actually have the right idea, they just have bad timing, right? And their execution is an issue. But you know, the idea was okay. And in fact, in ancient times in northern Israel, there were calves that were used as chariots for God's presence. In Jerusalem, the sacred space had cherubim. In the, nor- in the north, the, uh, the throne for God was a calf. So we might actually have a window into an ancient political argument about where you go for pilgrimage. Do you go to the calf or do you go to the cherubim? So the Torah comes down on the side of the cherubim, right? The cherubim win is the chariot for God, right? And the story tells us, right? No cabs, just, just cherubim. But I want to focus on one more possibility. I discovered a long time ago this strange midrash that has really captivated my imagination ever since. And in this midrash, which appears in a number of different commentaries, in uh, Exodus Rabbah and in uh, Midrash Tanchuma, The sages turn to an interesting text to understand this golden calf thing. They turn to the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, God has a chariot. And the chariot has four faces. The faces are an eagle, a lion, a human being, and an ox, right? A calf. And in this Midrash, God says to Moses, look what happened. I descended on Sinai on my chariot with four animals and the people looked at it and they unhitched one of them. So the Midrash is saying an astonishing thing. When the people build a calf as a vehicle or a symbol for God, it's not that they're creating an image that they saw in Egypt. Right? And it's not that they're creating an image they made up in their heads. They really saw God on Mount Sinai. They saw God on this chariot. Right? And The god they see is riding this chariot with four faces, and the people see one face of the chariot, and they think it's the whole thing. And that's why they build the calf, which is like the bull. They're representing an image they saw of God, but it's a partial image. It's not that it's a lie about God. It's a partial truth. The other sides of the chariot aren't being seen that people see the partial truth and they call it the whole truth. What's quite wonderful about this parashah is that if we follow this reading, there's a tikkun for the calf, there's a healing for it. Because Moses is receiving instructions to build cherubim that will be in the center of the tabernacle, and what did cherubim look like? Well, they have wings like eagles, they have a face like a human being, And if they're like other shrine guardians of the ancient Near East, which they probably are, they have feet of lions. So the cherubim are the other three faces of the chariot. They complete the partial truth of the golden calf. The cherubim are standing at the center of the sanctuary, perhaps as a reminder to look beyond our partial truths, to see all the faces of the truth. That's what the tabernacle is inviting us to do, to see all the faces of the truth. And I can't think of a more relevant teaching for my life or for our society. How often do we say, but you said, and not remember all of what that person said? How often are we presented with histories, or political narratives, or religious ideas that are harmful not because they are lies, but because they are partial truths? Right? Truths that lift up one perspective and shut out others. Humans like things to be simple. It's, you know, one of our, you know, it's one of our things. But it has always seemed to me that it's better when we allow things to be complicated. I have a friend and student who's an activist, a very long-time and successful activist, who deeply believes in her cause. She told me once that she had always believed in her own truth, that she was right, and the other side was wrong, the other side was evil. And that conviction was part of what gave her the passion to continue fighting for her beliefs. But then after years of activism, she made a choice to approach her adversaries not as enemies of the good, but as potential partners who also had a face of the truth. And she told me that she was finally able to talk to them. She was able to think about how to engineer solutions that could appeal to people from multiple perspectives. And she was able to be more effective in making the change she wanted to see in the world because she could acknowledge that her truth was a partial truth. And as true as it might be, it had to be completed by other truth. Conflict mediator Ayal Rabinovich says the same thing, that we find the most intelligent solutions to our human problems when we listen to many views, when we don't go into an echo chamber, right? when we're willing to tolerate different views as uncomfortable as that is, we actually come to the best solutions. So that's true personally, it's true societally, and it's true globally. There are moments when truth is stark. I mean, I get it. But there are also moments when truth is messy. And we are better off when we can see all the faces of the real. And this is true also in our spiritual lives. One of my roles in the world is that I'm the director of spiritual education at the Academy for Jewish Religion, to great title which Shoshana made up. <laughs> One of the things that I do is I oversee our pilot program in spiritual direction. I had the gift when I was beginning this program of speaking with Rabbi Jacob Staub, who has overseen the spiritual direction program at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. And I told him I wanted to create a program that would help my students to be spiritual. And he said to me, what do you mean by spiritual? And he reminded me that there are different kinds of spiritual personalities. That there are heart-centered people who seek the divine through intimacy and relationship. There are body-centered people who find God in the breath and in physical experience. There are intellectuals who find the divine presence in texts and ideas. There are mystics who find divine presence in ecstatic practice and contemplatives who meet God in silence. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know that all of those are represented here. And there are even iconoclasts who meet the sacred by asking questions and not accepting what they're told. No one kind of person is spiritual. We are all faces of the divine chariot. So, Roma Romamu, the Center for Body, Mind, and Spirit, has a tagline that is on the right track. (laughs) When we are in spiritual community together, we complete one another's truths. So my blessing for us this evening is that when we find a calf, we don't stop there, but we look for the cherubim to complete it. May we have the vision and the courage and the insight and the humility to go for the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. Uh, okay. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom.